It's a pleasure to be here to um, speak this morning. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Aaron Grogan. I'm one of the elders here at Christian Fellowship Church. And uh, today we'll be um, learning about Ephesians 6, 10 through 17. But let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this privilege to uh, stand before my church family here to proclaim your name and your word. Lord, I pray that you will use me to speak your words, Lord. I pray that you would let me get out of the way so that your power and authority will change hearts to grow us in our spiritual uh, faith. I pray this in your son's name. Amen. The title of the sermon today is, Are You Prepared for Battle? Have you ever been tempted by sin? Of course, we've all been tempted by sin. But how about something you know you shouldn't do, but there seems like there are all kinds of things that are saying you should do that? Um, or how about if you have other people telling you it's okay? I'm sure you've been in that situation. Here's a good one. What if you're successful in resisting temptation only to be led to another temptation because you resisted this one? So for 30 years, I chewed tobacco. I know, it's gross. But <laughs> for years, you know, when Beth and I were dating, that was, she was obviously not a fan of that, um, as you can imagine. But uh, I tried to quit what seemed like hundreds of times. And... I would, I would have the nicotine withdrawals, and I would get cranky, I'd get short with people, and I would lash out, and I would blame them for me being angry or, you know, lashing out. Um, I tried patches, nicotine gum, I tried everything. I tried it all on my own strength, of course. And was it really those people that I was lashing out that were tempting me? to be selfish, to be angry. My friends would tell me, hey, it's not a big deal, you're not hurting anybody else. Was it really my friends tempting me to be, again, selfish? I'm not here today to debate sinfulness or lack thereof of chewing tobacco or smoking. For me, it was a sin, not because of the act of the chewing tobacco, it was for what it caused me to do, which was to focus on me, on my comfort. I, was, I would plan my day on when I could go feed my, my addiction. And I wanted to hide it. I didn't want people to know that I had this, this temptation in my life. That's that hidden darkness. I didn't want that to be in the light. It would be frustrating in, in uh, Beth and I's courtship we would go out for a date, and it'd get to be 8 or 9 o'clock, and I'd be like, okay, i got to go. And she's looking at me like, well, wait a minute, it's only 9 o'clock. But in my head, I'm thinking, I need to get home because I want to feed my addiction. I could feel that addiction coming again. So I asked the question, are you prepared for battle? Battle with the devil, because that's what that battle was. Um, I want to jump into the passage in just a minute, but I want to kind of 
give a quick introduction to Ephesians. Um, Ephesians was, was written by Paul, of course, to the church in Ephesus. It's six chapters. And I was reading, uh, Kevin DeYoung wrote an article a couple years ago, but I liked what he said about this, kind of a good recap of, of Ephesians. Ephesians is filled with the gospel. The first half is almost nothing but gospel explanation, and the second half is almost entirely gospel application. So if you look at chapter 1, how are we chosen in him, adopted in him? We have redemption in him, our inheritance in him. Chapter 2, we are alive in him, we have been created for good works. Chapter 3, in Christ we find love that surprises and love that surpasses knowledge. That's the gospel. Chapters 4 through 6 are, are kind of the commands of how to apply the gospel. Put off falsehoods, unrighteous anger, stealing, unwholesome talk, and bitterness. Chapter 4, we put on tooth, truth, telling righteous anger, hard work, and compassion. Chapter 5, out of love for Christ, wives submit to your husbands, and husbands lay down your life for wives. Chapter 6, it's applying it to your children. Children, honor your parents. Fathers, instruct your children in the Lord. And that leads us, of course, to how are we going to apply God's Word to this battle? So let's turn to Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 17. And I think it'll be up here on the screen, but I encourage you to turn to it in your Bible or on your phone. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith which you, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. These verses start with God's strength. They don't start with us. They don't say, get yourself all worked up and get excited and recommit and get strong and be strong. It starts with, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. What does it mean to be strong in the Lord? It doesn't mean we manufacture it. We're to be empowered by the Lord. It says in 1 Samuel 36, David strengthened himself in the Lord. That's what we need to do. We need to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. When I was struggling with that nicotine addiction, I was trying everything I could think of to quit, except for bringing it to the Lord. The power of believers is not in ourselves. It's our relationship with Christ. He is what gives us access to the power of God. And God provides a way for us to do this. Look at verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God. We're going to see that again in just a couple verses. 
the whole armor, it's the full armor. This is a reference to a Roman soldier. Um, people in Ephesus would, of course, know exactly um, you know, what a soldier might be wearing. Shield, the helmet, the greaves, the sword or spear, shoes, whatever it may have been. It would have been something they would have been used to. Um, we're to put on that whole set of God's armor, and it is God's armor, but it's like we're putting on a new self in the likeness of God. God has the power that we need. We don't. God has done mighty deeds. He has absolute power and strength, and he's defeated the grave. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. If that's not awesome power, then I don't know what is. God is over all things. He commands Satan. He allows Satan to have power in this world. In Job chapter 2, Satan presents himself before the Lord. He presents himself like an underling presenting it to a king. He's not the one with the power. Satan is seeking permission to basically to mess with Job, to make his life miserable. God allows that, but with the caveat that you need to spare his life. So who's in control there? It's God that's setting the rules. He may be allowing Satan to have power to give us temptations, but God's still in control. But do we know what the devil's like? Do we think about who that devil is? We don't want to under, underestimate him. The enemy is not human. It's demonic. From another realm. And there are three main characteristics that I want to just quickly share about the enemy. The enemy is powerful, wicked, and cunning. The enemy is powerful. God has allowed that power out here on earth. Matthew 4, 8 through 9, the devil tells Jesus that he could give him all the kingdom of the world when he's in the wilderness. He's tempted with that. So God gave him that power. But of course, Jesus um, did not take that from Satan. The enemy is evil and wicked. I love this kind of definition. Inwardly foul, inner malice, flowing out of a morally rotten character. That describes who our uh, battle is against. We love, it says in John 3, we love the darkness rather than the light, and their works are evil. We want to do wicked things. We want to do selfish things, at least some of the time. And the enemy is cunning. He convinces people he's not even real. We've all heard people say, there is no heaven, there's no hell, there's no devil. That's a pretty good scheme he's got going there. But he is scheming. The second half of verse 11 says that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The devil is using well-crafted, organized evil trickery and, and schemes to tempt us. So when we're tempted, who are we battling? We're battling the devil. When I was fighting that battle of quitting uh, my addiction to nicotine, look at the schemes he had. It's not hurting anyone else, right? You deserve it. You work hard. You should get your comfort. When you quit, you just sin even more. It just makes you mad and angry, and so then you lash out at other people. 
So you shouldn't bother quitting. Those sound like a tricky devil lashing out, giving us these, these schemes to sin, to make it easy. And the devil hides in plain sight. In 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, it says, And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness and that their end will correspond to their deeds. And we don't have to look real far to see servants of um, darkness disguising themselves as servants of light. Just look at the prosperity churches that we're surrounded with. Look at the TV uh, evangelists, the Joel Olsteins of the world. These are servants of darkness. They're saying that they are servants of light, but they're just leading us astray. They're tempting us. And that's the devil. That's the devil working. It's not that man. Friends, this is spiritual warfare. Paul's describing, and he's not talking about humans. It's not about the guy who cuts you off in the, uh, when you're driving and you scream at him or maybe you give him a little sign language. It's not that guy driving. It's not his fault. He's not the one that's tempting you. It's the devil that's tempting you to react poorly. We are supposed to wrestle against these temptations. Paul used the word against five times in this passage. Do not re- for we do not wrestle against the flesh, against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers, and against the spiritual forces. The, re- the Greek word here is tepos, uh, which means motion or toward action. So we're supposed to wrestle against it's not a, I'm going to stand up against and stand like this. It's motion forward. It's going into that battle to defeat and to resist Satan and his temptations. Paul next lists several in that, in that verse there in, chapter, or in verse 12. Um, Paul lists a group of evil beings. Some say spiritual forces or titles, offices. Some even say maybe it's a hierarchy of um, evil rulers. I don't think any of that's real clear. Um, they are, these are powers that God has allowed, and they're not getting away with something that God doesn't know about. He allowed it. And clearly we could spend much, much more time digging into that one verse that we just don't have time for today. But just know this that this is spiritual warfare. This is temptations from the devil in your life today, tomorrow, and the days to come. We don't want to underestimate our enemy. As we said, we are weak and kind of wobbly Christians. We don't like to think about the devil or demonic forces. It's not something that I like to just sit around and uh, contemplate the devil. We have to understand what we're up against. God called us to be strong in Him and do spiritual battle against the powerful, wicked, cunning, cosmic force of the devil. There are a couple pitfalls to look out for 
um, when we're preparing and when we're battling Satan and his temptation. The first one is, we think we can do it on our own. I know all of you have had that experience. Whatever the most smallest temptation to the biggest one, sometimes we don't think about it. We don't think about going to God first. Sometimes we're just so arrogant that we think we can handle it ourselves, Or that temptation is leading to a repetitive sin that we're ashamed of, so we try to handle it ourselves. Clearly, God is saying, I am your strength. The other kind of opposite of that is, sometimes we think we have nothing to contribute to that victory over spiritual warfare. But again, that's not what Paul's saying here. He's combining divine power with human cooperation. The true power is the Lord's, of course. But Paul does call us to be strengthened in the Lord's might. So he expects us to fight, to battle. But how do we do that? How do we battle? Look at verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. We're going to take it up. We're going to actively do something. We shouldn't be afraid. This shouldn't evoke fear in us. We should be confident in the Lord. He will provide everything we need. We're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from God's victory already. But we must resist. We must stand. In verse 13, in the beginning of 14, it says, Stand three times. Stand, stand firm, stand therefore. And stand doesn't mean in this context to overcome or to be the last one standing. In the commentaries I was reading, it looked like the majority of them believe it means to do or to accomplish. Does that sound familiar? Stand against, wrestle against. It's activity, it's action. Paul uses the same verb 21 times in his writings in the New Testament, all with the meaning of to do or to accomplish. 1 Thessalonians 3.8 says, Stand fast in the Lord. And there are many passages about standing, standing fast, Galatians 5.1, standing firm, 2 Thessalonians 2, standing in grace, Romans 5.2. We have to do something. We have to resist temptation. This is not a passive thing. You are involved. James 4 says, Submit to God and resist the devil. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9, The devil prowls like a lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. We are here to withstand in the evil day. That dark day is now. There will be the final battle in the end that Jesus will win but we're called to resist today. And to do that, we have to take up that, that full, whole armor of God. Verses 14 through 16 are six pieces of armor that make up the whole armor of God. And of course, the analogy again is the Roman soldier, and these are you know, pieces of, of that armor. Um, Paul uses this analogy to show what it means to stand fully armored for battle. Our battle is against the devil with God's strength and might. And this is God's armor. He used it and has shown us how he used it in many passages in the Old Testament. Bella read in, um, of that in Isaiah uh, 59, 17. 
And we're able to access that power of God only because Christ Jesus died for us. He gives us access to that power of God's. And we're not able to do this on our own. We are weak. We are wobbly Christians. So let's, we're going to work quickly through these uh, six pieces of armor. The first one is the belt of truth. Have you ever heard the term or, or people talk about they've got to tighten up their belt to get ready for something? Um, you might hitch up your pants, I'm about ready to do some hard work, something like that, or weightlifter might tighten their belt. They're preparing. They're preparing for something. And we're preparing this belt of truth. What is that truth? The truth probably refers to character and activity in this context as opposed to the truth of, of the gospel. Because we're saved by the work of Jesus Christ, our character has to be of truth, of actions that are full of integrity. We are to stay in the light, not hide and go, go for me to go off and chew and be in secret. That's in the darkness. Why don't I want to do it out in the front of everybody? That's where the light is. We want to be part of the light. We have to practice truth and sincerity. The second piece of armor is the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate, of course, was protecting the heart, vital organs, you know, things like that. So this righteousness is needed to protect us from the devil. But it's probably not, in this context again, not the justifying righteousness of Romans 3.26 that we would, might normally go to. This is more of an... Um, ethical quality, of a moral righteousness. Paul also wrote in 2 Corinthians 6, 7, the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. And this is apparent meaning is the moral righteousness. He uses the same word in the same tense in Ephesians 4, 24 and Ephesians 5, 9. So this is righteousness of character and conduct. Because we're justified, in Christ. We should have a strong moral character and conduct. And this will help us in battle with the devil because we need to be prepared with it. We need to know what our moral character is. What's our code of conduct look like? If we're waiting for the temptation to be in front of us before we've given any thought to what am I going to do in this situation? Who am I in God and how am I to act in that situation? Friends, don't wait until that minute comes because I know from many, 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 many failed experiences, it doesn't go well. We need to know God's word and we need to sit in his righteousness and we need to allow that to give us that uh, righteous character. Our third piece of armor is um, shoes of readiness given by the gospel and peace. And again, readiness is being prepared. You seen a theme here? In this instance, it isn't to share the gospel. When we're, you know, fighting a battle or something, we think about, I need to tell them about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Absolutely. But that's not necessarily what this is talking about. It's talking about we need to stand firm in the gospel of peace as Christians, knowing who God is. That we're saved by the gospel. And no one and nothing is ever going to 
take that away from us. We need to stand firm in the gospel of peace. There was a time in my life when I was truly broken. My life was a mess. And God broke me. And I was wallowing and feeling unloved, unimportant. I didn't know where I belonged. I didn't know if anybody even cared for me. And some friends, some good friends of mine, began reminding me that I was a child of God, that Jesus Christ died for me, that I was loved, I was cared for, and God held me in his hand. And you know what? I found peace in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we mean here. But how does this help us fight the battle with Satan? I was being tempted in those moments to be lost in what Satan was telling me. Nobody cares about you. You're not important. Nobody loves you. Those temptations were real in my life. And it wasn't because anybody was telling me that. That's what Satan was just pushing it on me, pushing it on me. Imagine if you could approach temptation fully aware of Jesus Christ, knowing you're saved. No matter what happens in that battle, no matter if you fail that temptation, Jesus Christ is there for you. You're saved. It'll never be taken away from you. That's the place in battle where we want to be. That's what standing in the peace of the gospel is. So here's where we are. We have the belt of truth and sincerity, the righteousness of character, and we need to be prepared to stand in the firm peace of the gospel. So number four, the shield of faith, so we can extinguish the devil's flaming darts. So the shield, of course, got to block things coming at you. Could be a sword you're in battle, spear thrusts, flaming darts. This is to help block that away. In the Old Testament, the shield was used as an image for God's protection. It's all over Psalms. Faith is mentioned throughout the entire letter to the Ephesians. And in this context, it is trust in Christ and his power that protects the whole person. <clears throat> Faith is taking hold of God's resources that he provides. When we're being attacked by the devil and his flaming darts, what could some of those darts be? False accusations lobbed at you? Maybe false guilt you're feeling. How about doubt? Anxiety? Those are arrows that are being tossed at you. Temptations to disobedience, lust, fear, self-importance, anger. Have you ever had to block with the shield of God? The shield of faith knowing that's not who I am. We have to practice our faith. We have to be prepared. We have to take refuge in the Lord. Proverbs 35 says, But God is our shield to those who take refuge in Him. We have to have that shield of faith. Number five, take the helmet of salvation. 
Take it up. Receive that helmet from God. Again, today, the battles are now. There's a battle coming, but we're called to battle that temptation. And that helmet gives a soldier a sense of security, of confidence, that at least I know probably that if someone whacks me in the head with a spear or a sword, it's going to block it somewhat. And in Roman times, they also have often uh, had those big plumes, the big feathers there. Give them a sense of pride and confidence. It's interesting, uh, one of the commentaries, I like what someone said, uh, by receiving this salvation as their helmet, believers have every reason to be confident of the outcome of the battle. We can stand firm, being confident, knowing our salvation is secure. Jesus Christ did the work for us. Our salvation's there. Our battle is not for salvation. Our battle against that temptation is not to save, is not that saving piece. Christ did that work for us. Put on that helmet and know confidently. The final piece of armor is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The sword's the only offensive piece of weapon. If you look back at those other five, they're kind of all defensive things. And the Spirit is the Word of God. It is the Word of truth, the gospel of salvation. And God still uses the Word today. He uses the Word to cut through people's defenses, to stab us spiritually awake. God gave us the sword of truth to fight temptation, just like Christ did in the wilderness. We also use the sword to fight the devil with evangelism. God's words slice deep, and they change hearts. They convict us. How many times have you read something in the Bible and felt convicted? Going along, everything's seeming fine. You're right. You read that, and a minute later, you're like, man, was that written for me? Or you sit in a sermon like this, and someone reads a passage, or they're talking, explaining a passage, and you think, did someone tell them I was struggling with that, that I was being tempted there? I know that's happened to me. Um, God's words are powerful. They're ready for us to go on the offensive with. So what do all these pieces of armor have in common? Well, of course, we need them all to stand to fight those temptations of the devil. If we just had the helmet, if all you put on was the helmet, what are you going to do? Headbutt them to death? You know? It's protection. It's important. But God gave us this full armor. But I want to encourage you to be prepared. Title of the sermon, Are You Prepared for Battle? Battle with Satan. This is God's armor that we get to use because of Jesus Christ. He did the work, but we must participate. We must resist. We're preparing for today, when preparing for today, sorry, I read this somewhere, and I really liked it. There are, not, there are no soldier Christians or civilian Christians. 
There are just prepared Christians and unprepared Christians. I'll say that again. There's no soldier Christians. They're the ones that are doing all the battling. And then the civilian Christians. It's just prepared Christians and unprepared Christians. We have this gift of this armor. Are we using it? Are we studying it? Are we learning how to use it? Would you go into a boxing ring with a professional boxer or with someone who's been training week in, week out, month after month to have a a boxing match? Most of us wouldn't. Maybe my son would, Bryce, who uh, might want to step in the ring with no practice, but most normal people uh, (laughs) would uh, want some preparation to learn those skills. So what would make you think that you can do battle with Satan? This evil, cunning, scheming devil. What makes you think you can do battle without being prepared? Without learning that armor, knowing how to put on that helmet, knowing how to clasp your breastplate on, to hold your shield properly, knowing God's word to fight with, to resist. You have to be prepared. You can't wait till temptation hits, as I said, and wonder, now what do I do? You must know God's word. As Pastor Lucas even said last week in Psalm 1, um, we must meditate on God's word day and night. Day and night. All day long. It's great if you get up in your morning and do your quiet time, but if you never think about it again, and you never think about God's word or in prayer with him, are you really getting it there? Is is that day and night? We have to be prepared. We need to be ready to wield your sword, to stab and cut with God's word, to save the souls of your friends, your family, your co-workers, to share the gospel. I'll close with this. Being prepared does mean having a plan. God's given us this this armor. He's given us these tools. You have to think about what God says about the things going on in your life, the temptations you have. This may be a, um, a simple example, but you know, we have teenage kids, most of you know. Zachary, Rice, and Kylie. And they know, they may not think of it this way, but when Satan tempts them, Sunday morning, the alarm or I bellow, time to get up! And they want to roll over, I'm not going to church. Too tired, I'm too whatever. They know that the armor for our house, there is no choice. They don't roll over. They, don't, they may roll over, but they know it's going to keep coming back. They're going to church, no question asked. Why is that important? How does that apply to this? Because that's preparation. We've built that armor in our family so that when Satan tempts them with, ah, I'm not going to go to church today, there's, there's no question. Satan has no foothold. 
He can poke, he can throw darts. There's no crack in our armor. They're going to church, and they know it. So the temptation, we're beating that temptation before it's even there. And it came from the preparation. It came from being a, a God-fearing family, trying to live out and trying to wear God's armor. It's a simple example, but that's what we want. We want to be bulletproof. God gives us this armor. Our problem is, is we have pieces of it on at different parts of the day. Some of it's hanging off, barely there hanging on. Some of it we've never picked up. We've never used it. So we're not bulletproof. We're not fighting to win the battle. The battle is won. We're fighting temptation until Christ comes again. This is often hard work. It takes time. It takes effort. And we're going to fail. You're going to fail. Your armor's going to slide off. You're going to forget it one day, one moment in time. But we have Jesus Christ as our Savior. We have someone who intercedes for us during our failures. He gives us access to the armor. We have the Holy Spirit encouraging us. If you're walking in this world and sensing temptations of the world and not knowing how to defeat and overpower those temptations, if you're scared and don't know how to defeat the world, if you want to know how to get your suit of armor, come talk to me after church. Come talk to one of the other elders. Talk to any of the believers here. Call Pastor Lucas. It's important. This battle is on. It's raging. It's going to keep going. You're going to face it day in and day out. Get your armor. Know what it is. Come talk to us. Let us share the good news of Jesus Christ. Equip yourself for battle with the devil by standing strong in the Lord. Putting on the full armor of God. Let's pray.